It's Wednesday, December 30, 2020, and welcome to Asia Pacific Today. I'm Mike Ryan. China's trade war with Australia is affecting a growing number of industries, including the wine industry. CEO of Australian wine and grape Tony Badaline is moments away. Singapore and China have inked a number of agreements as they mark 30 years of diplomatic ties. Eugene Tan, an Associate Professor of Law at Singapore Management University, joins us shortly. Blake Christian will join us with his wrap of 2020 and what to look forward to in 2021. Plus the latest from the US with Kirk Clyde. China's trade war with Australia is affecting a growing number of industries, including the wine industry. Tony Badaline is CEO of Australian Grape and Wine, the National Association of Australia's Wine Grape and Wine Producers, responsible for policy, trade and business outcomes for the entire industry. Tony, thanks for joining us. Oh, pleasure to be here. What's the latest on China's restrictions on Australian wine and what are the known timelines in the anti-dumping case? So uh, I think it's important to understand that we actually have two cases and two sets of tariffs that have been imposed in Australia. So in the anti-dumping case, we've got a tariff that ranges between 107% to 212% that's been imposed. It's an interim tariff. Uh, the timeline for that interim tariff is four to nine months. So there's a possibility extended. And in, during that time, there'll be the conversion into a permanent measure. So uh, we, given what's happened so far, we expect that to be silver. The other one is the countervailing duties case that last week was announced of a 6.3 to 6.4% import duty. And again, it has the same timeline of six to nine months with the, with the same caveat that we'll probably get a permanent duty imposed in that time. Mm. And those permanent duties, they last for five years. Wow. A long time, isn't it? And a bit of a, uh, a headache. But, you know, normally I'd say a glass of red might fix it up, but not in this case. What are our main markets for Australian wine, the share of those exports to those markets and where China sits? So China is our largest export market by far. It has 40 percent of our exports. It's about one point two billion dollars. Uh, then we have the United States, and the United Kingdom. They're both about the same and they're about that half a billion dollar mark and then you have canada again another significant market and then we we export to another you know 160 odd countries so but they're they're the big the big four uh and they're the ones where we're most exposed and where the most of that the growth opportunities in fact are like chinese are making some nice wines too aren't they they've they've nicked all the uh great winemakers from around the world and um, what are they about? I think I heard somewhere where they're the second largest uh, wine exporter or in the world and they would be the biggest in a couple of years' time. So um, we need to get our winemakers back, first of all, uh, and, make, <laughs> and make those delicious wines here. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, there are some certainly some very, very good wines in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very difficult place to go grapes, though, and make good wine. So their best region is a place called Ningxia, and it's so cold that they have to bury the vines in winter so they don't die. So that becomes very expensive and it makes good wine, but it's, uh, it's not economic in the, the usual sense of the word. Having grown up on the land and uh, surrounded by grapes, the, the nice thing about burying the, uh, those, uh, the vines is that you wouldn't have to prune them because <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, it's the worst job God ever created. I think you, you must agree on that one. 
Oh, I think there's no doubt that winter pruning is a, is a job not for the faint-hearted and one that you want to give away as much as you can. You know, has all the uh, wine exporter to China had duties imposed, including uh, the more expensive brands like Penfolds and such? So the duties are imposed on all wines, all still wines in bottles under two litres. So all those 750 mil bottles, uh, which go, and 98% of our exports to China are red wine. And so every one of that bottled wine is now subject to those import duties. doesn't matter what the price point is. That's a big chunk out of the wine industry, isn't it? Yeah, and it's essentially made the, the market unviable. So the last fortnight, there have been no shipments that have gone into, or virtually no shipments that have left our ports and headed to China. Mm. And it's going to be like that for four years or five years. Will the wine just sit there until it can be sold with higher duties imposed, or can some of it be diverted to other markets? Yeah, so a lot of the wine it will now be looking for other homes. Uh, the problem is, of course, it's very hard to build a market from scratch. And while we're in many markets, uh, you've got to build your brand value and your brand cachet. So that takes time. So unfortunately, uh, it's going to be a slow process. Hopefully, the domestic market will do their bit. And we're encouraging everyone to buy Australian this year and, and see if we can take some of that slack. I recall years ago when we were uh, doing some uh, work in New York, one of my favourite wines is uh, Ninth Island, the, uh, uh, the uh, Pinot variety, of course. And I could actually buy a bottle of uh, Ninth Island Pinot in New York cheaper than I could in Australia, which was quite a surprise. But at that stage, I wasn't complaining at all. No, and a lot of the, th the differences in prices come down to taxes. So we're very heavily taxed country for alcohol so you know wine when you put all the taxes on top of each other about 46 percent of your bottle so you know that that's a lot of money that's going to the government and and that means that you know in the export markets you're not paying all those prohibitive taxes have you suggested to government i'm i'm sure they'll be tickled pink to hear it but if there's a uh, if you've been smashed by the uh, the chinese tariffs and uh, their their trade war with australia perhaps the government could in some way alleviate some of the taxes so therefore the uh, the damage or the hurt isn't as great yeah we've made a lot of suggestions to government uh, that is one of them that we should have tax relief uh, certainly in the um, the medium term for the next couple of years while we can diversify our markets and we're also looking for the government to work with us on that long-term market diversification strategy so that's going to be you know we want a 10-year program and mm. not just for wine, but for all those products that are suffering in China. Let, let's work to get them into other markets, get down the bar barriers and just getting that market onto the shelves. Do you think the Chinese market was, um, you know, the old saying, don't put too many eggs or in our case, bottles of wine in that one basket? Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. We've been cautioning people about their exposure to China, but you can't blame people for following the money. And the consumer in China loves our product, so they buy more of it than anyone else, and they pay a higher value than anyone else. So it's a highest price point market. So naturally, people are following the profits. And, you know, it's been the political situation that has turned that round, unfortunately. And this just, just doesn't hit the wine growers and the, um, the, uh, the industry itself. It hits also the peripheral industries, those that rely on providing goods and services to output that bottle of wine. Oh, absolutely. And regional economies, there's so much of mm. regional Australia that relies on the wine sector, the grape growing and the winemaking. But you're right, the people who make posts, the people who put posts in the ground, the people who supply, and there's a lot of supplies. About 46,000 jobs in Australia are associated with the wine sector, mm. the grape and wine sector. So, so it's an important industry. 
And the other thing that really worries me is that the mental health aspect of this, this latest knock after a year of bushfires and COVID mm. where industry is suffering, there's, there's a lot of people out there who are, who are in a very you know, bad state of mind and we really need to look after them. Recall when I grew up, I and mean, when this is sort of like, oh, the days going by. I'm sounding like my father, actually, which I always cringed. But when, you know, when I grew up, and I grew up in Mildura in Victoria, which is for those out of uh, our, our market, you know, it's, it's in Australia. But the, um, I recall having to pick the grapes. And one, I hated that because there were spiders and, and uh, all sorts of uglies under those uh, vines. Now they have machines. But the thing that really you know, came home to me was that how all these 20 acre blocks in those days, and they've probably been swallowed, but there's still a lot of those around. Um, it's but I used to find that these little blocks of 20 acres and 25 acres run, run by the Italians, they had two things. One was to die for, that was the home-baked bread in the kiln outside. It was stunning, this Italian bread. And the other, not to die for, but almost killed you, was the stuff they used to clean the tractor with and drink it. It was called grappa. So, I mean, there's a lot of memories there, and we need to sort of hold on to... Um, the, the, the romance and the, uh, the, the goodness of the, the, of the wine industry, don't we? Oh, yeah, and these areas are still just as good as they used to be. So, oh, yeah, I love going to the areas with that strong Italian heritage. Mm. My name's Italian, and, and, you know, you go there and you go to Griffith in the Riverina when it's uh, salami-making time. Oh, uh, stunning. No, no better time, no better time. But the grappa, I mean, clean, clean the tractor, which is a massive Ferguson in those days, clean the tractor and then they drank it. It was yeah. pretty wild. I mean, my first, when I stuck out one day, I was 15, here's a, here's a thing, 15 and at some, uh, some fair at the, at the school. And uh, someone got hold of this bottle of grappa. So I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to have a mouthful of this stuff. And almost turned me off drinking, you know, forever. It's the strongest drink. Do you drink grappa? Oh, absolutely not. I'm going nowhere near grappa. <laughs> Look, I admire people who do. I respect them. Their courage, it's That's... clear. Uh, but it's, it's yeah, it would not only cleans tractors, it cleans everything, I think. Yeah, and the, it just rot away the stomach. Uh, what do you estimate to be the total cost to the industry, including suppliers and associated employment? Oh, look, we, we, we haven't actually got the final mm. uh, analysis on that. It, it's potentially very, very large. And the thing about this is it's not just the short term, but this is uh, going to be a cost for several years uh, as we try and diversify markets. So it's something that I think will probably be larger impact next vintage. I think this vintage people have, you know, they, they've got, we've had poor vintages the last three years. We'll have an above average one this year. Mm. So there'll be wine back in tank, storage down. So I think... Uh, it's going to get worse next year, but uh, the cost will be will be great. There will be people who will go out of business. There's mm. no doubt. A lot of said the um, uh, this this uh, the Chinese uh, tariffs and wine and uh, their trade war, you know, inverted commas there, uh, against Australia is part to blame because of the uh, the uh, new trade deal that China had with uh, the US prior to COVID, and they had to make some sort of wriggle room to be able to. Um, adhere to those conditions for that uh, deal with the, with the US and Trump and the Trump administration. Is there a, a part of that you think that they've said we ha- actually have to uh, make some some wriggle room here to uh, keep to our part of the deal with the uh, with the Americans, or is it just you know just being pig-headed? I think it's more the latter. I think the I think. 
there has been tensions created mm. because of the, the US in the international sphere with China, but I don't think we can blame that deal on this. There's, there's other, other factors at play here, and, and, and clearly the relationship with China is extremely poor, and all the press has shown that it's not going to get any better anytime soon, and we are clearly being made an example of. It's a tricky one, isn't it? You, you know, some, of, some of the pundits are saying be a little more tolerant and others are saying, no, we have to you know, stand up for our, for our own sovereignty here. What do you think? Do you think there should be a, an in-between of that or do you think that the government's on the, on the only track? It's not the, uh, really hasn't got a whole lot of choice. So is it, can we, can we do something different than we're doing right now or is it just the way it is and we have to accept it? I think we've reached the stage where we are at a point where there's no going back. Mm-hmm. So I think now we do have our sovereignty, which we have to we mm. have to support, and there's no doubt about that. I think that we have been caught in the crossfire, the economic crossfire. Uh, we will go through all the, the legal channels that we can, uh, both within China and also if we go to the World Trade Organization, like so. We'll 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 keep pursuing this. We don't think we've got a case to answer, but I don't. I think there's very little the government can now do because they, there's no dialogue. Uh, the Chinese ministers refuse to meet with our politicians, and that makes it extremely difficult to actually come to a solution. And their lone wolf approach, you know, let's, let's throw, out, throw out an insult here and there and everywhere, that doesn't help much either. Uh, who benefits most from the, uh, this Chinese action? Well, I don't think, uh, well, the people who, the only people who will benefit and the Chinese consumer won't benefit and the Chinese industries that rely on our exports won't benefit. So, so there's pain in China as well coming from this. So that the people who will benefit will be some of our competitors, people like Chile, people like Spain, uh, people like Italy who export to China and can increase to fill the gap that we had. So I would think that they're going to be the biggest beneficiaries, but they don't wish to benefit at our expense. I've had a lot of calls of support from people in these countries, our you know, competitors, if you like, who are also good friends who, are, who, who don't want to benefit, but of course they will take mm. advantage. What do you expect to happen at the end of the anti-dumping process? Look, given the evidence that we've seen that's been provided for the interim duties, uh, there's been no basis for that. But what we it looks like is that what will come down at the end is something very similar to where we are now. So a permanent duty in that 200% range, uh, and we will think it'll be challengeable, but of course, challenging in WTO takes you three to four years, dumping duties put on for four or five years, so it's not going to make much benefit. So I, I don't think unless the political situation improves that we'll get a good result, even though there's no evidence to mm. support the fact that we are, we are hurting their industry. Producers can pivot to other markets, and you know, which can take time. Which ones, though, do you think, if we have the, uh, the, the, you know, have time to do this, which ones do you think are likely to be more responsive to our requests? So initially, obviously, the domestic market springs to mind. This 20% of our domestic market is imports, and so we're hoping people will buy Australian. But that, of course, is not a, a long, sustainable solution. So we need the United Kingdom with a Brexit, which is looking increasingly difficult. There will be people who prefer to buy Australian rather than European. It will be easier to access. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the uh, United States and Canada are both big markets that we're underweighted. But I think, really, we have to have a long-term strategy that looks more into Asia, more into India, and even places like East Africa and Russia, where uh, are very difficult markets now. But we need to plan for five to ten years because mm. we're going to be in this for that long. 
What about getting wine into uh, North America? Uh, what would the the time frame be? You know, and getting larger and larger amounts. Now there's there's some good Australian wines around the states, but um, you know, you're still swamped by um, you know, California wines and Washington State wines and stuff like that. So is there is that a, a practical option or or whimsical thinking? It's uh, we've put a lot of effort in the the market in the United States for the last three years and it's proving very tough and because there's very good local wine and of course domestic wine has a very good cachet so it's proving very difficult to get into the three-tier distribution system but we will redouble our efforts Uh, people do like our wine there Mm -hmm. Uh, it is good value it is good quality Um, so uh, we we've been higher before so we've been up to the billion dollars in before the gfc Mm -hmm. in the us so so we can come back so yeah expect to see a lot more wine uh, on the shelves let's rewind a bit and uh, go to the actual growers those that you know they're the ones that that are starting the process of a, of a great bottle of wine are they feeling though that you know this is just getting a bit much for them because it's a hard hard life on the land yeah no it is really tough for for growers in particular and we're going into our next vintage you know coming up in well some people start picking in late december but you know january february march peak times and there's a lot of concerns about you know will people want my grapes and what are the prices going to be and all indications are prices will be you know lower because obviously demand is not going to be there without china so there's pressure on prices um and it's it's and as i say with the mental health aspect we've had a couple of tough vintages we had a record low vintage Mm. last year and, and these guys are in pain and if you haven't got a good contract and dealing with a you know a winemaker, you've got a relationship. It it could be really tough. So I, I I'm really concerned about a lot of our growers. What about bright spots? Any bright spots for the Australian wine industry? I know over Christmas that we'll be consuming probably far too much, and that our liver will you know, get a fair beating uh, or battering. But um, what are the bright spots? Because once Christmas is gone, then you're back to you know post or still during COVID and. COVID does uh, put restrictions on how we how we exist at the moment. I think there's a lot of bright spots. So we're we're in the state where um, we believe we can diversify our markets. It will take time. We also believe that we'll get a good hit domestically as people have sympathy with us. So um, I think there's never been our product has never been better, and we'll have a better vintage this year. And stocks are down, so it's never been a better time to have a crisis like this. The only thing is this year's been crisis after crisis, and it's just been really tough. So, um, but we're a resilient bunch, mm. and you'll see us come through it. Have a great Christmas. Great talking with you. We must do this more often. Um, uh, hope the headache isn't too bad for you after Christmas Day. That's what Boxing Day is all about. You sit there whinging about how sore the head is, but we have cricket, so what more? What, we're living the dream, aren't we? Oh, we are. Look, we've had some tough times, but we'll get through it. And yeah, have a drink, watch the cricket, and you know, hope Santa brings you something nice. Thank you very much. Thank you. Singapore and China have pledged deeper cooperation in areas ranging from public health to trade with the recent signings of 10 agreements. Eugene Tan is an Associate Professor of Law at Singapore Management University. Eugene holds degrees from the National University of Singapore Faculty of Law, the London School of Economics and Stanford University. Eugene, great to see you once again. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's always a pleasure. 
Singapore-China trade has increased significantly in recent years. Can you tell us more about the recent history of China-Singapore relations? Um, certainly. Uh, 2020 marks you know, the 30th anniversary of the um, establishment of uh, diplomatic relations between Singapore and China. Um, although um, ties between uh, Singapore and China go back uh, you know, to the um, early 70s, um, but out of sensitivity to the concerns of uh, Singapore's neighbours, um, you know, Singapore delayed uh, this establishment of formal diplomatic ties, you know, until all these ASEAN uh, Association of Southeast Asian member states have established uh, diplomatic ties with, with, with China. Um, so, but since then, you know, over the last 30 years, um, you know, relations have been uh, very multifaceted, you know, very deep, very rich. Uh, we also have, um, you know, significant uh, growth in trade and investments, you know, in, uh, of both countries. Um, we're looking at, um, you know, government to government projects, you know, so in, in many sense, uh, this is a very deep, rich and substantive uh, relationship. So if you think about the, the, the government to government projects, you know, these are those such as the Suzhou Industrial Park, um, the Tianjin uh, Eco City, and now the, the Tongting uh, Connectivity Initiative. And what all these projects serve to do really is to have both countries, you know, to work together, to share ideas, you know, to, to bring the different strengths to the table. And I think what this reflects really is, you know, the determination on the part of both countries and their leaders, uh, you know, to recognize that relationships need um, a lot of work. Um, you know, there is a need to grow the ties. There is a need to explore a new relationship, a new developments, new opportunities. Um, and we mustn't forget, uh, you know, China today is very different from the China that Singapore established ties with in 1990. Singapore has inked some major agreements with China, uh, deepening economic, financial, health and technical ties. But how is this viewed in Singapore? You know, in Singapore, I think, you know, Singaporeans will recognise uh, the need uh, for Singapore to maintain uh, healthy relations, you know, with as many countries as possible. Uh, and China is certainly uh, one of them, uh, you know, given its, its rise, you know, over the last 30 years. Uh, given the sort of impact, you know, that China has in so many different uh, areas of development, you know, the rise of the Chinese economy as well. Um, so the recent uh, inking of uh, several major agreements, you know, uh, to mark uh, the 30th anniversary of uh, diplomatic ties between uh, Singapore and China, uh, these are very much welcome, particularly, you know, by the business, uh, scientific and and, and, and and financial uh, uh, communities. I think there is a sense that uh, it is important to have uh, these agreements, you know, that will help to catalyze uh, closer ties, you know, enable Singapore to have uh, inroads, you know, into the Chinese market, if I can put it that way. Um, again, these ties are seen, you know, as an attempt to sustain and develop uh, stronger ties um, in China, has much to offer, uh, and Singapore believes that it also has much to offer. Um, and I th think when you look at these agreements, uh, you know, I think there is the clear recognition, uh, you know, that both countries appreciate uh, how these different ties, you know, whether you're talking about economic, financial, 
um, health or, or technical ties. Um, you know that that they show both countries continuing to be relevant uh, to each other. Uh, what what that also indicates, you know, is how you know both countries have continued to nurture uh, their ties. You know, um, appreciating that countries have evolved, um, you know, with different strengths, with different capabilities, uh, and so Singapore's ability, you know, to offer technical assistance, you know, which was which was a mainstay of Singapore's program in the in the early days of our formal ties, uh, you know that has now uh, given way, uh, you know, to much more significant cooperation. Um, where I think you know there is a sense that um, there is a lot more that can be done. Uh, so it, it is a challenge, you know, for both countries to find new areas of development uh, and, and and to ensure you know that ties remain strong. China's been very aggressive towards Australia where bilateral cooperation has been extensive over many decades. How is this conflict in the relationship and unilateral targeting of Australian goods being viewed in Singapore? Not much has actually been said um, in, in Singapore, right? So I think here, if you look at the corridors of power, um, you know, I think this is this is seen as, um, you know, a bilateral uh, issue, you know, a, a hiccup, you know, that will have to be worked at, you know, by uh, Australia uh, and, and China. Uh, but I think it is, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there is a sense of regret, um, you know, uh, in Singapore, you know, over the way uh, things have, have developed. Um, and so I think, you know, there is a view that, you know, if both countries uh, can, can repair those ties, um, you know, there would be significant uh, advantage to it. I mean, you know, to think about, you know, $100 billion of trade, uh, you know, between uh, China and Australia, you know, and, and, and how that all is going to be um, affected. I think here, you know, we are looking at um, a relationship where I, th- uh, where my sense is, you know, that sometimes megaphone diplomacy, um, you know, will not work so well, you know, that sometimes you know, a softly, softly approach, if I can put it that way, will work better. Um, I think in any close relationship, uh, there will always be disagreements, uh, tension. Uh, and Singapore has experienced that, you know, you know, with China. Uh, but then I think what it requires then, you know, is for leaders and the diplomats of both countries, you know, to, to work at, at, the, at the differences uh, away, you know, from the public eye. Um, and 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 I think that's how diplomatic diplomatic ties can be rebuilt. I mean, personally, for me, you know, to see how you know in a matter of five six years, you know, the relationship, um, uh, you know, being at a high and then going down to you know to to, to the level that it is today, um, you know, I think that's somewhat uh, uh, tragic, uh, you know. But we're now seeing a a, a sort of a, a truce, um, you know, and 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 I suppose you know that's an attempt. Uh, you know, by both countries, you know, having uh, each set their piece, you know, to uh, to now, you know, get back to the table and 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 repair, you know, what is essentially a very important relationship, not not just to both countries, you know, but to the region uh, and to the world as well. There's key concerns, uh, most notably under the uh, Trump administration about espionage and CCP influence in the US 
across a broad number of fronts. Do you think this could happen in Singapore? I I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know the the, the security community, uh, the intelligence community, uh, keeping a, a close eye on this. Um, but I think we should remember that uh, this exertion of of uh, foreign influence, um, you know, it's always there. You know, I mean, countries do it all the time. Um, you know, there are just different modes of doing so. Uh, it is really an attempt to exert, uh, you know, what has been described, um, you know, as soft power, right? So, so the idea that uh, countries would be aligned with uh, your position, you know, without you having to coerce them, for example. But I think the key question is, is not whether, you know, influence is being exerted, uh, but rather how the influence uh, is being exerted. Mm. Uh, and I think that, that becomes important, uh, you know, for any country to be able to be very firm and clear about what its national interests are, what are the, what are the bright lines that, that cannot be crossed. Um, and, and also, you know, the need for, for, for countries. You know, for, for example, Singapore, you know, is a very small nation state. Uh, you know, the need to protect our national sovereignty uh, and, and to ensure that countries, big or small, uh, friendly or not, uh, you know, recognize that. Um, and, and one critical ingredient, uh, you know, for uh, healthy uh, Sino-Singapore relations, if I can put it that way, uh, really is, uh, you know, the Singapore government's conscious a- attempt uh, and effort, you know, to to reinforce on, 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 on China, um, you know, that Singapore is not... Um, a Chinese state, um, you know. So even though we have three quarters of the population being uh, ethnically Chinese, uh, you know, we are certainly not, um, you know, another uh, uh, another China, um, you know, a- another Taiwan or, or Hong Kong, you know. But we are an independent uh, sovereign nation state, and 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 I think when uh, these fundamentals. Uh, are recognized and given effect to, you know, then I think that that helps the, uh, for bilateral relations to be kept on an even keel. How does Singapore view China's role with COVID-19 in maybe the creating or the exporting of this virus, which is just, uh, it's still here, believe it or not? It still is. Um, and, and, and so I think that's where the focus must be for now, right? The, the focus must be on, on uh, working Across borders, uh, you know, perhaps in, in in a sort of a global effort, you know, to uh, to fight uh, COVID nineteen, you know. So whether that means you know sharing uh, expertise, you know, sharing ideas about uh, what could work uh, and what might not work, you know, I think this is something. This is a global pandemic. Uh, I think there is no time, you know, at this stage, you know, for finger pointing. Mm. Uh, certainly, there are lessons to be learned, uh, but I think there there is a right time. Uh, and, and place, you know, and 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 I, and I think it's a critical, you know, not to finger point, uh, not to take the the, the view, you know, without uh, a, appropriate evidence, um, you know, that that this was a malicious attempt. Uh, I think when you look at COVID nineteen, uh, it is a tragedy, right? It is a tragedy that has befallen, um, you know, the world. Um, you know, many people are affected, um, and so. It, it is really critical, you know, for countries uh, to come together. So when you think about now, uh, you know, with vaccines uh, being approved, 
um, you know, for use, emergency use. I think the challenge then becomes, you know, not so much about whether whether a country. Uh, uh, I think the challenge becomes, you know, how, how do you help countries mm. who may not be able to afford, you know, the vaccines, uh, you know, to be able to have um, the opportunity, you know, to to access them, right? Uh, because we certainly don't want a world, you know, in which. Uh, there is now this divide on, on uh, based based on whether a country has vaccines or not, and and we should remember, you know that that because this is a pandemic, and, and so long as certain parts of the world are not adequately protected, um, it will come back to 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 even bite those countries, uh, you know, which have access to vaccines, because we, we mustn't forget, we are looking at viruses, you know, which can mutate. Uh, and, and so, you know, the vaccines may be able to deal with the current strains of uh, the coronavirus, you know, but um, we, ca- we cannot say for certainty, uh, you know, that the virus will not mutate, uh, you know, for which, you know, um, the vaccines today, you know, may not be of, of any effect. Uh, one certainly hopes that we don't come to that to yeah. that stage. But I think it's important to, you know, to recognize that no man is an island, um, you know, and, and in a situation like a global pandemic, uh, you know, it is time to close ranks, uh, and and once we have overcome, uh, you know, this threat, uh, then perhaps you know we, we can focus on on making sure you know that uh, that we do better uh, um, if a similar threat were to arise uh, in in future. You know, so I, I think you know Singapore's focus is very much on 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 working with like-minded countries, um, you know, in in in, in fighting uh, COVID nineteen, and so that. Also extends, you know, to, to the Covax program. You know, so that's the WHO initiative, uh, you know, to try to ensure, you know, that that uh, countries, you know, including the poor con- uh, the countries which are which may have difficulty getting vaccines, you know, will have, mm. uh, you know, as much access to the vaccines as possible. I mean, this is a global threat, and so it needs a global response rather than finger pointing. I don't know about you, uh, Eugene, but if I hear any more about COVID normal, I'm going to vomit. I just want normal. I just want to be able to go out, hop on a plane or whatever, uh, not have to wear a mask because I have a lovely smile <laughs> and uh, and you have a lovely smile too and just get back to being human. It's that's what that's my new year's my new year's resolution just to get back to being human. Although many friends will say for me to be human is almost the impossible dream. What's your what's your um, great wish? For 2021, I suppose you know. For me, 2021. I mean, I, I haven't given much thought, thought to it, you know. But but I but I share, you know, your sentiments. Uh, you know, the need for, for you know, for humanity, uh, for the world, mm. uh, for and for each one of us, you know, to to use this crisis, you know, which which has hit many of us uh, in in very unexpected and, and challenging ways, uh, you know, to reflect on it and 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 the hope, you know, that we will come out. Better uh, and stronger, uh, you know, in in, a, in in terms of um, our humanity. Uh, I, I think you know th- this is one um, episode, uh, a long one, uh, a, a scary one, if I can put it that way. Uh, you know, in in which um, I begin to perhaps appreciate even more. Um, you know that that as human beings, you know, the, the need for uh, community, the need for fellowship, the need for interaction, um, 
it's so crucial, um, you know, that even with technology, you know, which is now enabling me, you know, to be interviewed by you uh, here with me in Singapore and you in Australia, um, you know, that, that there is still that, that barrier. Um, and, and so, you know, the question now is, you know, how can we blend, you know, the best of, of, of the social interactions, you know, um, aided by technology, uh, you know, to bring out, you know, uh, our humanity, to bring the world closer together. Mm. Um, so, so I suppose my hope is that, you know, we will we'll all become more human, uh, you know, with, with recognizing, you know, the, the importance uh, of life uh, and of values, uh, you know, in, in a very challenging world and challenging time as well. Eugene, have a wonderful 2021. We'll have a glass of great Australian wine for you and uh, talk to you early next year. Thank you, Mike. Uh, you know, ha- have a wonderful holiday season and, and all the best wishes uh, you know, to your team and you and your family for 2021. Well, as we wrap up the, uh, the year, the year that almost wasn't, that shouldn't have been 2020, the year of COVID and the year that Blake Christian took to the airwaves on a permanent basis and has been terrorising the Democrats ever since. Blake, how are you? I'm doing great. Good to see you. That, uh, the highlights and the lowlights of, um, of 2020, uh, there's been many. Uh, what were some of the highlights for you and for, and for Holthouse, Carlin and Van Trite? You know, I, I think the, you know, we, we feel very blessed that um, we were able you know, we were one industry that, um, you know, if anything, we benefited from COVID. Our, our clients, you know, had tremendous need for accounting services, consulting services, how to navigate the PPP loan process, um, you know, how to how to shut down, how to start up um, and uh, and also to be as tax efficient as possible in a crazy world. So. Um, so, so we, again, we, we feel very, you know, um, uh, happy that, that we were able to ride through this much, much better than I predicted, um, when it first hit. Uh, but the, the sad, you know, it saddens me that the, the small businesses, um, are just so, um, you know, just ha- have had just tremendous pressure, closures and uh, and I you know I don't think we've seen I don't think we'll see by the end of the year the full fallout from COVID economically I, I think 2021 while everybody's looking forward to it I think that's when um, you know this you know a lot of the small and medium-sized businesses that had that were kind of leveraged and didn't have a lot of savings are going to fold uh, we've had a lot of bankruptcies in 2020, but I think we're going to have, you know, two, three, four times as many in uh, 2021. The long, dark winter may be never ending for some businesses uh, under Joe Biden. Where do you see 2021 going for, for business under a Biden administration? Well, you know, my, my big fear is that, that he'll, you know, he'll lock us down uh, businesses for you know three to six months and um, and just further uh, compound the you know the economic downturn and uh, you know I, I I just you know California where I I'm sitting at the moment is um, you know it, it's just amazing that to see the uh, the lack of open businesses and the boarded up businesses in a lot of cities and 
you know, we're just going to have a lot more of that if he if he does shut us down. And I think he's made a lot of public comments that he's tending, you know, not only to, you know, have mandatory masks, which I don't have a real problem with, but if he starts shutting down, you know, more and more businesses uh, nationwide, it's um, it's going to get very ugly economically. Now, just looking at the mask thing before we continue, it's interesting. Uh, you were wearing one before, but they're saying that what happens is that if you breathe in on the with the mask, because it, it doesn't protect you, what it does do, it protects the other person from getting it. So you all right. need to wear it. Problem is, right. when you take it off, if you touch the front of it, you've got to pass on the germs that are already on the mask. So... Um, it's. I mean, maybe we need to have lessons in how to how to wear masks. Joe wears them on his ears, so I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe we could do you know do a a a, a wearing of mask one hundred and one. Not, not not a bad idea. You know, the the efficacy of, of masks is is still highly debated. Mm. Um, I, I I don't have a problem wearing one. I encourage other people to wear them, but you know, mm. I we we can't be sure that they're that they're. Um, you know, fully effective. So, and now I cut I cut you off. You're halfway through saying something, and I butted in. End of the year. That's what happens. Oh, I, you know, I, again, I, you know, the the short list of things I worry about uh, in a Biden administration: uh, the lockdown, number one, number two, tax hikes. Uh, but that's really we have to wait and see how the Georgia Senate race pans out. If uh, they they win both of those seats, then um, then he has free reign for tax increases. Uh, I don't think that'll happen, but if it does, it's going to, you know, be a pretty, <laughs> now that I'll, I'll describe it as a, a long, dark winter. Um, and, and he, he has a lot of, a lot of tax hikes out there and things like, uh, you know, I think he, you know, he's very anti oil. He says he's not going to shut down fracking and things, which has been just an unbelievable, engine in our economy and has brought uh, oil imports you know to minimal levels uh, because we produce so much on our own now we're exporting so uh, if that you know he may not shut that down but he's going to tax the heck out of it and he's going to have a lot of fees on it and I think the same goes with uh, with uh, with guns and, and rifles and things he's He's not going to. He's not going to be able to ban them, but he's gonna. He's gonna put a bunch of uh, taxes and fees on those to make and and probably cut off the uh, the supply of um, of ammunition. And so those you know have the same effect you know almost of uh, of uh, you know reclaiming guns. So mm. I, I think there's just there's just a, a lot of things out there. And I think, you know, to be fair, I don't think all of these are are Mr. Biden's, you know, objectives, but he has a lot of of uh, people on the far left to satisfy uh, who helped him get into office. So that's that's mm. what we got to wait and see who's going to have the power. Really exciting year 2020 uh i say that with tongue in cheek and sweat on the brow but where do you see humanity going this is sort of getting off the the money side of things but where do you see humanity going uh 2021 do you think there'll be more conflicts or less conflicts you know i 
you know, from a worldwide basis, I think you're going to have a lot more conflicts. You know, we have, you know, we have a lot of people upset with China about their their lack of uh, disclosure on um, on the virus. Uh, you know, letting their you know their population fly all over the world, but not let letting them fly within China. I mean, you know, there, there's some disturbing things that happened. Um, you know, you've got a lot of things going on in the Middle East. And now I think when you had a heavy handed Trump uh, who was not um, going to be bullied and now you have Biden who, you know, I think will roll over on some of these issues. I, I, I do worry about, you know, some of the, you know, Russia and, and China and South Korea or North Korea, um, you know, having, um, you know, getting a little more aggressive with us mm. um, from a from a community from a U.S. standpoint. You know, again, the polarized Democrat versus Republican um, challenges are. You know, I, I mean, there's a lot of people arguing all the time, but at the same time, I saw, I, you know, I, I saw some amazing things at the community level and industry level. Uh, like just today, uh, John Sangmeister, who you've interviewed, um, you know, a restaurant we own together, um, you know, we, we raised in the course of just a couple of hours, you know, thousands of dollars for the employees to help their families get through um, and, you know, make it a, a, you know, a nice Christmas. And, and we've seen that throughout Long Beach, uh, a whole bunch of the uh, restaurateurs um, and, and the customers have just, you know, put in thousands of toys, thousands of dollars of money to help people out. And uh, so I, I have seen, you know, when, when the going gets tough, I, I, I've definitely seen people step up uh, in Park City where I, where I live full time. Um, you know, you know, some groups are helping the, you know, police celebrate and the sheriff and the fire department. And, uh, and also they, they've helped, uh, we have a, you know, very large, um, uh, Mexican American community there because we're a hospitality based, uh, city and, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars went into, uh, various funds there to help them out because they they needed help with rent and they were they were the hardest hit by uh, by the pandemic. You've been saved by the pandemic in one way, uh, Blake, uh, because the band uh, basically singing and dancing. And I know that your prowess as a singer and a dancer is the reason why you chose to be a CPA. <laughs> yeah, I have no no talent in those other areas. So, so there, uh, there there is always good from from bad, and that's one of the good things. So your wife can actually take out those earplugs, and those close by cannot be embarrassed by this. This is a cross between an octopus and Fred Astaire. It's pretty scary. <laughs> right. Th- thank goodness my sixteen year old daughter has uh, an incredible voice, and. Uh, even uh, sang at Carnegie Hall uh, a couple of weeks before COVID hit, mm. and uh, but I, I have none of that uh, talent. And she she reminds me in case I do break out into song when uh, something good on the radio is there, she uh, she stops me. That's right. You'll be you'll be arrested for uh, disturbing the peace 
<laughs> Blake Christian from Holthouse, Carlin and Van Trite. Always a pleasure. Have a great New Year's Eve and uh, all the best for 2021. And we'll see you in about two weeks' time. Happy New Year. Now, let me just see. How many ducks are there? There's one, two... Oh, sorry, we're on camera. Uh, I was just counting the ducks over to your Seven. right, Kirk, and I wasn't sure if Seven. you had one for Christmas lunch. How was your Christmas? No. Uh, wonderful. We just hung out at home. We supported local businesses by ordering out, had some nice roast beef. So I'm just hanging out here until my number comes up and it was gone with the draft. No, wait, that's an old, that's an old <laughs> but, hey, song you, from the forties. You've got uh, some exciting things to look forward to next year. You've got Ace. you've got a, a very, very old, older than you president. You'll have a vaccine. Yes. Uh, maybe Let's the hope. casinos will open next year. Well, it's looking better. They're open. They're open. The thing is, the buffets need to open back up. That was an amazing day back on March 17th. It was St. Patrick's Day. And at Stations Boulder, which I used to play it a lot, we used to have good luck there. Um, they were having corned beef, and it was just delicious. To their credit, it was fabulous, but it was just kind of a surreal experience because we finished the buffet, and they were turning off the machines. Now, my partner, Mark, this is my sixth year here living in las vegas and after i'd have a losing session which you know occasionally does happen you don't always win gambling and he always said don't worry they won't close but they did they closed for i think 75 days 73 it was in the 70s so that was just traumatic Mm. a traumatic year here for las vegas and then the wildest thing The wildest thing is all these orders issued in various states. Order you to stay home. You must stay home. And the penalty for disobeying that order, you must stay home. Nothing. It's very difficult Mm -hmm. to enforce rules and social norms when the penalty for disobeying is nothing. Except, of course, killing your neighbor. I was actually happy because I put a call into into uh, my friend Donald Trump. And I said, look, we need to have some laws out that will stop Kirk from singing too loud. And part of it was you, you, were, not allowed, you were not allowed to sing too loud at Christmas. And thank you to Donald. No. no. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think if he had gone with the cash back in the summer, we had, of course, the big uh, relief bill in the mm. spring. And then we bogged down with Mitch McConnell delaying everything. The Democrats passed legislation months ago. Mitch McConnell in the Senate said, no, 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 you can't have no more. <laughs> and I haven't even been doing any marijuana. I don't drink that much, but marijuana legal here in Nevada, we give it a thumbs up. But I think if Donald had gone along and said, let's go ahead with the $2.2 trillion relief mm. bill in the summer, that would have been enough, at least in the key states, to swing the election. But no, now he's having a, just a narcissistic breakdown, and we hope the world can survive for the next uh, the, couple and, of weeks until the 20th. Yeah, and the other, way, the other way he, he could have won, which, he, which you're overlooking, is that he could have had the uh, maybe the state police pull up the truck that had that you know, truck full of ballots from New York Not to Pennsylvania. Maybe he could have done that. Bill but yeah, Barr that's no but that would be using the law the att- to your advantage and you can't stop <laughs> a truck with all those ballots. <laughs> Even Bill Barr you could not ask for a more sycophant attorney general. Mm. Even he said, You've gone too far, Donald. You've gone too far Even Pat Robertson. Pat the evangelist Pat Robertson, who like a hundred years ago tried to run for president himself. Even he said the gig's up. Geraldo Rivera one of Trump's uh, uh, talk show friends. Give it okay. up, Donald. 
so it'll be fascinating. Okay, to see what as happens. the but I'm ready to give up this year. Let's just yeah. give well, up 2020. Okay. Tell and me, move out of here. Tell me your t- Mexico. Mexico was on the uh, on the on the cards yeah. at one stage. Yeah, tell absolutely. Me the, Still is the hi- a couple of the highlights and a couple of the lowlights. Well, let me tell you one of the things that that got me through the year, and you can go back to our early shows and you can see where I went into our. Uh, pool on the driveway. I use this as a weight for one of our lamps. Mm-hmm. It's the giant shark float. Doesn't really look like much of a shark there, does it? Maybe here. Oh, there's his mouth. Giant, which I use as a weight now for one of the lights here. But having that pool, a ground pool, can you get more low class? In the, in the driveway. In the driveway. In the driveway. <laughs> can you get more upscale? Can you get more exciting, sexy Vegas than having an above ground pool in your driveway? But let me tell you, I loved it. It helped keep me sane. And, um, That's saying something. Uh, <laughs> semi-sane. Uh, what else? I had a, I had a very nice trip to uh, help my daughter. I took a, um, just kind of snuck in there between the virus and went back to Philadelphia uh, to see her. And that was a, a good trip. The state of corruption, of course. No, no. Philadelphia, you know, Pennsylvania is a progressive city. And it's really me, interesting. You showed me around the place and it's a, a lovely state. Yes. It's just underlying under the bricks the pavements there's this this evil i think it's from no. the democrats it's a democrat well, what you feeling got a that they alter the, a, it, the election it's a schizophrenic state because mm. you have the big city philadelphia you have another fairly big city mm. the pittsburgh steelers mm. oh my gosh they won their first 11 football games in a row this year and they lost three in a row unbelievable mm. anyway so you have fairly progress you have very progressive philadelphia fairly progressive pittsburgh and like kentucky and west virginia in the middle you call it Pennsylvania there because it really is pretty much just appalachia mm. in between these two big cities which makes for uh interesting politics in the keystone state to say the least and by the way a little bit of american trivia for you that is not actually a state pennsylvania is a commonwealth not a state it's the commonwealth of pennsylvania and there are a couple of others believe it or not the commonwealth of kentucky and commonwealth of virginia everything else is a state in the u.s i think they might have had a ballot measure this year, one of the more interesting ones. He'd have to double-check me on this. I'm just kind of winging it. But Rhode Island, the smallest state as far as landmass goes, with the longest names, it was the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. And I think they voted finally to lop off the Providence Plantations from the name of the state in uh, Rhode Island. So just some minutia of what happened this year. But I'm trying to think of good things. Uh, I lived through it. I uh, got to float right. in the pool a lot. Um, what else could happen? The ducks are healthy. Um, the rabbits are healthy. Yeah, um, yeah. Joe Biden still has seventy five percent of his uh, of his marbles. Batteries. We would say marbles. So that's you know, great. That's so, okay. Even if you were right about that, even if it was just seventy five percent, I'll take. Joe Biden, 75 percent of his marbles than Donald Trump, who was off the evil deep end. And, you know, one of the things that he's done, he's executed more federal prisoners, I think, in the last year than there have been executed in the last 130 years. Mm-hmm. He's just death on the way out. There's a hashtag on Twitter, which is some. Hi, how are you? How are you? Nice to see you. Um, about everything Trump touches dies. It's like E-T-T-D. Everything Trump touches dies. And he's uh, certainly trying to live up to that. 
on the way out. The death penalty, one of the stupidest punishments you could have. It's much more cost effective when you look at the appeals, the amount of labor, everything involved in it to keep someone with a life of prison sentence than with a death sentence. But don't tell that to Trump and the Republicans because they're pro-life. Mm. That's right. They're they're pro-life. So uh, and of course, mm. and of course, they could be wrong. And if you got the person alive, you could always say, oh, sorry about that. But, but if you're dead, you got, it's uh, tough to bring him back. But we have Kamala. I mean, I've said the name right, Kamala. Kamala or yeah, Kamala. Kamala. Uh, but Kamala. look, she will. She she uses California as part of her platform of her success. Well, just looking at who's leaving California, such as yeah. Elon Musk uh, moving to Texas, Larry Ellison Supposedly. to Hawaii, Gene Goodbye, Simmons Larry. to Washington. And look at the Gene, numbers that have left Gene California in the last year. Who are you Six, talking about? Gene Simmons? No, see, I, I put him in because he's your favourite singer. Uh, but <laughs> give me a tongue like Gene Simmons. I want to see it. Gene was great. I mean, Gene's a little wild now with his political views. Uh, but Gene used to intimidate the hell out of me when I started in radio. He would come into the studio and do interviews. And back in the beginning... Gene would um, be not in makeup, obviously, but mm. that was in the days where they couldn't get their pictures without makeup. So you would think it was the president coming in with as much security as they had, because those days the Pavarazzi were still trying to get their unmade up faces. It was a, it was a fun interview. It mm. was a fun. I, I took calls one day. One of the few things I actually remember about being on the radio, I wish I, I might have it somewhere, but this caller came in, called in, and she said, Gene, what makes you think you're so good in bed. What makes you think you're so good in bed? Without dropping a beat, it was almost like they planned it. I don't think mm. they did, but it was almost like he planned it. Gene Simmons says, because every time I'm in bed, all I ever hear is, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. She was very religious. That, but it was she was it. very religious. Now, That's back to California, back to it. Kamala. Kam- Kamala. Yeah. Kamala, yeah, uh, one of those, uh-huh. you know, all three. And yeah. she probably has that many yeah. personalities. Um, look at no, the uh, no. California. It's lost... They say around about 653,000 residents last year. Now, they're moving to to Texas, Arizona, Washington, Nevada to see you, obviously, uh, and Oregon. Is that just because of, take away the COVID, is that more because of the the lack of law and order now? You've got a new new district attorney there, a Soros-back district attorney. It's all money related. California is a wonderful place to live and mm. crowd related. But when especially, you know, I used to say it beforehand, before, and that's one of the reasons that Nevada, 20 years ago, a reliable conservative state, a Republican state, has now become a reliable Democrat state, is because so many people have moved here. I used to call them the California refugees. And just in the time that I've lived here, you can see a noticeable increase in traffic, especially in the peripheral areas of the communities that we've got. Mm. Because And now with COVID, with somebody who can work from home, why work from home in a two-bedroom apartment in San Jose that you're paying $3,000 a month for when you can come to Vegas and for $2,000 a month rent or buy a very nice house with a pool in the backyard Mm. and you Mm. can chill and enjoy the good life. So if it doesn't matter where you live, the economics say Mm. it's a much better deal to come here. And then you also have the economic incentives. Places like Tulsa, Oklahoma, and who wouldn't want to go there? They're offering 10 you wouldn't. 
no, never. They're talking, they give you like $10,000 to show up, you mm. know, if you stay a certain length of time. Vermont, if you're in the skiing, I guess that's good. Even Hawaii, even Hawaii is offering incentives to work from home on the Aloha State. I couldn't live there. You did, of course, Mike. Yes, you, went the reason there, I c- you went there and uh, you had a wonderful weekend helping me uh, crank up yes. one of our radio stations. At convenience stores. But, you know, the reason I couldn't live there is not that. That was actually kind of an interesting experience. It's the fact they need some consonants in the Hawaiian alphabet. It's like you forget about buy a vowel. Let's buy some consonants because I couldn't pronounce anything. But do you know uh, you have this you have this attraction to Hawaii? I say that because the second largest Hawaiian city in the world is Las Vegas. Yeah, well, yes, that's probably true. Just like the second largest Greek city in the world is Melbourne. We are, in fact, the ninth island, and you do definitely mm. see Hawaiian influence. And the hotel downtown, the Californian, ought to change their name to the Hawaiian because it really does mm. cater to the Hawaiian clientele. But now you've got to go through this rigmarole. You can go to the Hawaiian Air uh, page, and we are getting, I think, one flight a day now mm. or something like that. But what a rigmarole to get there to show mm. the COVID but test, it's everything. It's in- worth it. No, no, no. I mean, I'm sure the outer islands are nice, but I've just hung out with you on Oahu, and Oahu, it's a traffic jam on a rock. It is, isn't I mean, it? it is. But a lovely, like, a lovely really? place to have a traffic jam, let me tell you. Yeah, to be stuck in traffic. Well, let's just hope for the best mm. here in 2021. Mm. It's uh, going to be a wild ride. Uh, that is for sure. I think we've kind of got no place to go but up. And if President Biden can do what he proposes to do to be a president for all people and unite America, uh, it's it, it's going to be like a miracle worker because it's a scary, divided time here in the United States. And it's interesting to see New South Wales, you know, freaking out, closing the border over, you know, 15, 20 oh, cases oh, of COVID here. We're saying. Oh, we did better today. We only had 2,500 cases here in Nevada, mostly here in Las Vegas. And you wonder why I hang out here in the OLA. So, I mean, you know, it's be amazing to see to get us together. And I was reading some of the travel guidelines, guidelines from Queensland police. And all I can say to myself is that would be impossible mm. here in the United States. Americans would, there would be blood in the streets. And Australians, let's just face it, little more civilized than americans well present company may be excluded that's right but see you you're almost an australian yourself kirk have a great 2021 uh, don't drink too much uh, in, in, on uh, new year's eve although no. you have a great supply of i do of uh, liquor and i just can't wait to get the shark blown up again and get back in the pool in the driveway <laughs> and a the little cold right hi. now oh and there's a there's a, somebody violating the speed limit down our road right now <laughs> Kirk Clyde from Las Vegas, uh, Nevada's number one Democrat. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And that's it for Asia Pacific Today, December 30, 2020. From all of us here at Talking Dog Media, Happy New Year. I'm Mike Ryan.